When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Chicago Audible podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. And welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. And welcome to our week two postgame show as our Bears survived the Denver Broncos, winning 16 to 14. And Eddie Pinero is a god. I'm your soul <laughs> DeWitt, and to help me break down the Bears' first victory of the season, I'm joined by my co host, Nicholas Moriano. Nick. What's going through your head? I mean, up and down emotions all game long. That was a crazy ending to the game, but we came up on top. We came up on top, but I thought we were for sure going to lose this game, just seeing how the offense played. And at the end, their two-point conversion, thought it was all but over. And then you see the Bears are able, or Mitch Trubisky is able to make a play on that last, you know, what, third down, fourth down? I don't even remember what it was, mm-hmm. but set up Eddie Pinero. It was like 15 or 20. It was nuts. That was crazy, and Ooh. I was just yelling and, you know, it's awesome. The Bears are one and you know one and one to start this season as opposed to zero and two. Uh, great feeling. It's a great feeling. I mean, you said it. I mean, one and one. It doesn't matter the final score. It doesn't matter how we got there. We'll talk about the end of the game here in just a moment and how that all unfolded because that was nuts. I mean, I was like, I thought the game was over. Uh, we had fourth down at that one point. Uh, the Bears had that twelve men in the hall to call, and I was like, no, it's not gonna happen. Just shot ourselves in the foot. Mitch comes up with a big throw over the middle. We get that timeout in with one second left, and Eddie Pinero seals the deal from 53 yards out. But let's go ahead. Let's get into this postgame show. Enter the first quarter of it, which begins, like always, with my monster moment of the game. And for me, I mean, Nick, how can I not go with the field goal, right? Like, it's hard because, I mean, one hand, the field goal was a tough kick. On the other hand, the throw that Trubisky made and the play by Robinson as well, all that coming together, Robinson being on the ground, getting tackled with enough time to get that timeout. So those two plays in general for me are probably going to be my monster moment. But for us as Bears fans with our uh, you know, our history with the kicking position, to have that under our belts and to have Pinero hit that kick, hey, Nick, 
He threw a kicker. We have a kicker here in Chicago, and his name's Eddie Pinero, and I am very excited to have him on my football team. But for me, that's going to be my monster moment of the game. Obviously, I had a couple other ones at one point or another, but those are out the window. We'll talk about them later on here in the show, but monster moment has to be the Bears' final two plays of the game, Trubisky to Robinson, and then, of course, Eddie Pinero taking it all the way for Bears' victory. But, Nick, let's go over to you for your Moriano Minute. Yeah, for this, I mean, there were so many things that were happening throughout this entire game, but I think we just have to keep on talking about Eddie Pinero, three for three, uh, just being that guy that you can rely on from the field goal aspect, extra point, one for one. But like you said, the Bears do have their field goal kicker. There's confidence now in this team just from getting this first victory and being able to put that on him, that clutch moment to make that field goal. You saw he pointed up, you know, up to the sky, you know, just having, you know, the Lord on his side, and he was this, you know, this time, and that's that played dividends in the Bears winning their first game of the season but I think it's just about this one you know aspect of the game where it all came down to Eddie Pinheiro we all know about the field goal kicking woes that have been here in Chicago from you know some time now but he he took the challenge and you know made the most of it and gave the Bears the first win of the season all right. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get into my stat of the game here. Uh, you talked about three for three field goals. I think that's an obvious one. I'll change it over. I'll go with the Bears, uh, you know, run the pass ratio today. They had 29 runs as opposed to 27 passes today. You and I, Nick, we talked about it in our on our preview show. The Bears need to find a way. And I said I want them to be damn near 50-50. That's exactly what we're looking for there. 29 runs as opposed to only 27 passes. And obviously a lot of those passes came late when we're trying to, you know, march down that field. So even before this, what was even a little bit more wide in terms of being favorable for the run, but Matt Nagy's uh, ability to stick with his running game today paid off in the end. So for me, the run pass ratio. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Joe of 29 running attempts to 27 passing attempts is going to be my stat of the game. And Nick, let's go over to you. Let's call with the, I want to go with the Midway Mulligan, I think is the name that I went with it because then all three of our opening segments have Eminem going with it. Maybe that can lead to a sponsorship deal one day, but right now it's going to be your Midway Mulligan. If you can take a moment back out of this game, what would that be? Yeah, so there are multiple plays early on, especially in that first half and third and shorter situations where Matt Nagy has some questionable personnel or just play calling in general. The Mike Davis run, I think on third and two, why is Mike Davis getting the ball as opposed to with David Montgomery in that certain situation? That could be one of them or even go to the pass where it's a deep ball to David Montgomery and I think a third and three or something like that. But it's it's just the questionable play calls that were happening in the first half that you're wondering, what is Matt Nagy really thinking? Don't overcomplicate this. Um, but that's, I think, those are two plays where you can easily go back, put in David Montgomery for Mike Davis, and don't call a deep ball on a third and three. Just try to get a manageable. You're in a manageable third down situation. Give yourself a position to get that by giving yourself actually a good play call. I know Matt Nagy thought it was, but it just didn't seem like the right time, right place to call that play. I just saw in the chat uh, from a Zach Woodwick, uh, Eddie Winero. I like that. Or uh, Adam Johns uh, tweeted uh, Eddie Dinero. I like right. Eddie Money. Mm-hmm. So 
Which is fitting considering the real Eddie Money just passed away this week, like a couple days ago. So interesting stuff there. But now we're going in pop culture in this show, and we're not about to do that. We have a Bears victory to talk about, and we have one segment left here of our first quarter of the show, which of course is handing out our MVB of the game. And I mean, can you go anywhere else but Eddie Pinero at this point, Nick? You know what? Prior to the Eddie Pinero field goals, would have said maybe like the Kyle Fuller and just the interception that he caused, but or David Montgomery. But it it has to be Eddie Pinero. It would be you know a disservice if we would have said anybody else because he he won the Bears the game on that clutch field goal. Yeah, I mean I have a backup, but can we do Garrett Bowles? Does that count? Oh man, that that video that I made. I'm so glad I made it because it was just crazy how many times this guy was called for holding penalties he is that bad yeah i mean he had to stop it there he's that bad yeah you're right you're right but yeah mvb uh officially does gonna go uh or does go to uh eddie pinero for hitting that kick and i mean his two others because without him i mean it's still entirely different ball game so he is perfect so far still on the season but that's gonna do it for the first quarter of the show. We still have plenty to talk about. Up next, we're going to break down the Bears' offense. But before we do, we do need to call a quick timeout to tell you about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing sites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there is a better way. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. So why is SeatGeek better than the rest? That's a great question. To put it as simply as possible, SeatGeek is a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. It rates each on a scale of one to 10, And finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. And of course, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. All of us here at the Chicago Audible have the SeatGeek app on our phone as by far the easiest way that we've been able to shop for tickets throughout the years. Earlier today, I was looking at the Bears-Chiefs game, the game we're going to. Still plenty of amazing deals left if you're looking at joining us later on here in the season. And here's the kicker. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first purchase. And all you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code BEARS for $10 off your first purchase. That promo code again is BEARS, B-E-A-R-S, for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. All righty, you're listening to the Chicago Audible. I'm Russell DeWitt, joined by my co-host, Nicholas Moriano. We're excited. We're going through plenty of emotions here in this Bears-Broncos postgame show. But it's time to go ahead and kick off our second quarter and talk about the Chicago Bears offense. So, Nick, I want to go over to you first. Uh, plenty of the things to talk about today. What stood out to you right out of the gate here from the Bears offense this week as a, compared to what we saw against Green Bay just a little over a week ago? Yeah, I think it's just got to be that run-to-pass ratio or just actually Matt Nagy being willing to call running plays regardless of who was a running back. You saw Cordell Patterson getting a you know big handoff that led to that Bears' first touchdown drive. David Montgomery having 18 carries, being the lead horse for the Bears. That was really the big difference in this one. Matt Nagy just calling the runs, and even though early on he wasn't getting much yards off of it, he still committed to it. The play calling was a lot better in this one as opposed to week one. Still, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed, but I think that was the biggest difference. Matt Nagy actually calling plays, utilizing his running backs. Even Cohen had a few handoffs in this one, some we didn't really see or didn't see at all again a week one against Green Bay. So 
that's the biggest difference. These running backs being utilized, establishing the run game for the most part. Yeah, let's talk about that running game today because obviously that was the big difference because we saw nothing uh, in terms of them establishing themselves on the ground in week one. Uh, but today, right out of the gate, you know, they started off the game with two runs right away. Uh, they really took the ball out of Trubisky's hands and put it more on the ground. And I think at the end of the first half, they had 14 passes, 16 runs, and they still ended up with a two difference between the two, as I said, in the stat of the game. But overall, I liked what I saw with them establishing the run. And what did you see out of David Montgomery today? Because I know David Montgomery, uh, I think the announcer said that he was like, when you're down by the goal line, like he was slithering his way through there. I thought that was the perfect way to explain his running style. He's a slithering kind of back. He can, you know, deke and jump and move around guys. And so for me, uh, that was pretty fitting. But are you like me, Nick? I want to see more and more of David Montgomery as this year rolls on. Because when he's on the field, it just feels like the Bears offense is so much better for it. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever David Montgomery wasn't in the huddle, it was just on the sidelines. I'm like, man. I don't have faith in this offensive play, to be completely honest. I'd rather see David Montgomery out on the field. But just in terms of what I saw from him, just the vision, the patience, the, you know, that if he gets contact initially at the line of scrimmage, that doesn't mean the play's over for David Montgomery. That just means he's looking for the next route, the next little sliver lane that he can get through because that's what David Montgomery does. It was funny when we were watching that goal line series that was happening and the Bears just couldn't have scored. Then they get their ninth rushing attempt on that drive. I'm like, David Montgomery just needs to go over the top. And that's what he does. So he has so many elements that he can just pull out into his game, whether it is, you know, bouncing off or making someone miss in the open field or bouncing off a tackler, jumping over people. David Montgomery has all that in his game. And I think the Bears offense, like you said, Will, is better when he's out there. And I think they just got to keep feeding him throughout the year. He had 18 carries today. I wouldn't be surprised that number obviously goes up throughout the course of the year just because David Montgomery is that good. Yeah, David Montgomery, he had 18 carries today, 62 yards, which is about 3.4 yards per carry. And of course, his first career touchdown. Shout out for him for, of course, that accomplishment. Plenty more coming his way. But then you see Mike Davis, three carries, one yard, a couple of those carries on some third and short situations, which you and I did say we wanted to see the Bears run the ball more on third down. Don't make it so obvious that you're always going to drop back to pass. Mike Davis is not the guy to hand that ball off to, right? Is David Montgomery becoming that third down back in those situations to you? Because you know, to me, moving forward, that better be the case. Yeah, I think that the coaching staff is just seeing that they, they're confident when David Montgomery's in those third down situations, or they should be now. Just seeing what he can do as opposed to a Mike Davis, you can just tell that this offense, not that it's going to you know generate more of a push when Montgomery's back there, but it just seems like when Montgomery's in the game, there's more like there's a more likelihood of them getting positive yards as opposed to being you know tackled in the backfield when Mike Davis is back there. And so, I don't know, I just think that it's just a smart move to just have him out there more and more on these opportunities. I know they liked Mike Davis, the Bears did, especially in training camp in the offseason, but... It just seems like David Montgomery is really coming into his role, picking up the offense, just being that guy that they envision, they trade up for, and that they ultimately need in this Bears offense. What are your thoughts on uh, Cordero Patterson? Obviously, he had that big run today. Uh, he was aided by some great blocking along the perimeter. I know Allen Robinson definitely helped in to create that seal for him, but uh, you had a stat. I don't know if you have it on hand, but you did retweet it from uh, NFL Next Gen Stats, and he ran well, how many miles 20? per hour? 22.3 miles per hour on his 46-yard run, the fastest speed reached by a ball carrier over the last two seasons, according to Next Gen Stats. That's insane. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he you could see it too. He was kind of slow playing it in the beginning, and then he breaks with his left left foot in the ground and goes straight up the field. And you could see that speed. It's scary once he gets in the open field because you know they're luckily the Denver Broncos had the right angle at him because he is a fast dude. Yeah, no, I mean, wicked quick. And I mean, when you say he's the fastest ball carrier in two years, I mean, that's a big reason and a testament why the Bears brought him on and how they envision him uh, being a playmaker in this offense. I mean, that speed kills. I mean, that's what flipped the entire field position right there because he had a lane, but if he didn't have that. Your heart health is the foundation of your body's performance. So if you want to stay at your peak, your heart has to do the same. Cocovia delivers the level of cocoa flavanols clinically proven to increase circulation, promoting healthy blood pressure and a strong heart. Boost your cardiovascular health and stay peak with Cocovia at cocovia.com. That's C-O-C-O-A-V-I-A.com. And now during Heart Health Month, save 20% with coupon code CVHEART20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Speed, if he was a Mike Davis, for just an example, that wouldn't have been such an impactful of run. So for me, I mean, that was a huge play in the game as well because that helped push the Bears down for that first touchdown of the game, their first one of the season at that. All right, so obviously we have plenty here to talk about, Nick. I do want to transition over to the passing game and something Denver did, an adjustment that you and I didn't even see coming here on Thursday during our preview podcast, and that was them putting Chris Harris on Allen Robinson and shadowing him uh, you know, across the field because we thought we were going to get some you know, Yeetum versus Allen Robinson matchups. Didn't have any of those because they decided to shadow him with Chris Harris, their top cornerback. How much do you think that impacted the game? Because obviously, besides that catch, a couple of catches, but the one, the big one here at the end of the game, Allen Robinson's impact was pretty minimal. Yeah, it definitely was. I did not think that the you know Denver Broncos would actually do that, but I think that comes with Vic Fangio knowing Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy. Who are they usually going to scheme plays for? Well, it's got to be Allen Robinson, their number one guy. That's who Mitch has felt comfortable with all offseason going into last season. So, again, that's just an adjustment by Vic Fangio. Credit to him for doing that because I was look, I have Allen Robinson on my fantasy team. I'm like, Where, where's Allen Robinson at? Why is he getting the targets? But Chris Harris is one of the better cornerbacks in the league, whether he's playing in the nickel or he's outside, uh, you know, just as the the regular cornerback. But no, it did not. We did not expect that. It obviously played a factor in this game. But you know, Allen Robinson, when he needed to make those big time catches, look down right before Eddie Pinero's fifty two yard field goal. Uh, down later in the fourth quarter, where the Bears just needed to get the drive going or just get that first down to give the defense a rest. Allen Robinson still made those catches, but for the most part, Chris Harris did a really good job on him today. Yeah, I mean, the big one, that 25-yarder right there at the end. But besides that, he had the one along the sidelines that allowed them to get a first down. Uh, Before that, it was real quiet, and he took him out. And I think that's the big reason why the Bears did struggle a little bit. And hopefully, I mean, I know teams are going to see this, and they're going to want to maybe mimic this because if you take away 12, you force you know Trubisky to look elsewhere, which is a big reason why you see Ben Broniker. Adam Shaheen getting a lot of targets and a lot of, of course, uh, receptions as well. Um, but if they do find a way to take out Robinson, uh, it's up to Trubisky to find out that next guy uh, to find a way to uh, put this offense in a position to succeed, which to me is a little concerning at this stage of the season. But I mentioned two tight ends, Ronicker and Shaheen. Looking at Adam Shaheen, uh, he had a couple of plays today that stood out to me. Uh, and he actually, to me, even though the stat line is underwhelming, uh, three catches, 24 yards, that may end up being his best game so far in his career. He's had a couple of games in which he's had touchdowns, but those have only been from one yard out. But not only was he 
getting catches. He had a third down, which he caught it short. He fought his way through to earn himself a first down. He's staying on his feet. He's not just falling over at first contact. What did you see Adam Adam Shaheen that gives you maybe uh, you know some glimmer of hope for him moving forward? Yeah, so I think the the one cat or the one play that you were talking about, Will, I think it was a I want to say it was a third down catch, and Yidham was mm-hmm. the cornerback. Uh, you see, Adam Shaheen previously in his career, there were times where he goes up against smaller defenders. He'll try to maybe jump over them or something like that, and he gets end up tripping over himself and then not ending up getting a first down. In this case, I like that he just was able to stay, you know, um, just stay upright for the most part, not go down initially. So. Again, that was a big play in the game just for the Bears offense to stay on the field, uh, move the chains. And, you know, you want to see – obviously you want to see more from Adam Shaheen. Just having, you know, stat line that he did, three catches, 24 yards, not very significant. But, again, I think he's making strides in the right direction. I don't want to go, you know, so far as saying, like, maybe this is the next step for Shaheen. But, again, these little things, hopefully they add up and Mitch Trubisky can just have another target that he can rely on. But it was nice seeing him getting that first down, just converting the chains and just staying on his feet because he hasn't done that earlier on in his career. Tariq Cohen, are you surprised on how little his impact was? Uh, I am a little bit, but Denver did a good job of you know taking him out of the equation, whether it be as receiver or as a running back today. I mean, Tariq Cohen, you're looking at him, he had ooh, 25 total yards on offense. I think we expect a little bit more out of Tariq. What did you see out of him today? Not much to be playing on. Yeah. It's only the one. What was the one play? Was it a punt return or no? It was, I think it was a screen pass where he went from the right side all the way to the left, losing yardage. And you're just wondering, you know, Tariq Cohen. I think he's maybe maybe he's feeling a little frustrated that he hasn't had much of an impact through two games in Matt Nagy's you know two o two offense, right? So. I guess, you know, it's it's going to be interesting how Matt Nagy's going to, you know, scheme open. I want to go back, watch the tape, see where majority of the times he lined up. Was it in the slot again? Or I would, I would probably assume so because we saw a lot more Montgomery. But I think for him it's just going to be in terms of the matchup that the Bears have each week. Then you're going to see maybe Tariq Cohen have a big game. But thus far it's been pretty underwhelming for, you know, a very explosive player hasn't done much in the punt return game as well. So you got to think maybe Tariq Cohen's a little frustrated with himself trying to make something when nothing's there. And, you know, when you're forcing yourself to do that, good things don't happen usually. Absolutely. Uh, So for me, I'm looking here, we talked about the positives and that's the Bears, of course, sticking to the ground game, establishing the run uh, that did help, you know, sustain drives. I believe their two field goal drives were at the time, I would have to double check here now if they had one longer, Um, but I do believe those were the two longest drives of the season so far after two games, uh, which again, it was slow grinding. I think they had what? The touchdown drive was nine plays, nine straight runs to get that in there. I think Mitch had one throw, which is nullified due up to a penalty. Uh, so for them really sticking on the ground, to me, again, it wasn't pretty. And I told you this on Thursday, right, Nick? I said with the Raiders, they stuck to it. And it was they didn't have many pretty runs, but they were able to find ways to wear down the defense uh, and just you know pick them, pick them apart slowly. And that's what the Bears did today on the ground, which is exciting. But I say all this positive because I want to start getting a little critical of this offense because they're not anywhere near where we're still expecting them to be. Uh, I have a few different gripes, but let's go ahead and start with them on, let's just start with third down. There were three of 11 today, uh, and they started off with uh, getting uh, three, uh, two of their first three, and then for the rest of the game, I mean, third down, they were just unable to do anything. And there's before the half, I have marked down like what they did and they failed on the third and three. They failed on the third and two. They failed on the third and three. 
those are situations that you must find ways to convert. If you have anything less than third and four, that should almost be money every single time. But the Bears had a hard time still on third down. This is the second straight week, and I'm starting to get a little bit of doubt in their third down ability because I told you coming into the season, I wanted them to finish in the top 10 here, and I thought they had the potential to. I don't know about that right now. I mean, they're way behind the eight ball there. But what are you seeing on third down that are leading to some of these struggles? I mean, we talked about Mike Davis getting touches, and that shouldn't happen, but there's more to it than that. Yeah, I think it is. It's a, you know, the wrong personnel is in the game. There's questionable play calling. There was one of the plays where uh, later in the game, Matt Nagy calls a screen on third and six, whatever it may be, to Allen Robinson. He gets the catch, but. Why call a screen on that play? Let Again, maybe this is Matt Nagy not trusting Mitch Trubisky to make a play and just throw something over the middle to you know get this first down. But you're calling a screen play on a third and six where you have more defenders than you have blockers. It's just it's set up to fail from the very get-go. I just don't get that. And I mentioned some of the questionable play calling earlier on in the game where you're handing off to a Mike Davis or throwing the deep ball to David Montgomery. You never see I, – I feel like we never see Matt Nagy call like all slants, which is a play that mm-hmm. I think is traditional and run in every single you know offense in the NFL. But it just seems like Matt – Nagy has not called anything for Mitch Trubisky to maybe throw it over the middle. Maybe not having Trey Burton there for the majority of the game is affecting what the Bears want to do, but that shouldn't be the case. So it's a lot of things, and I don't have the answer to it, but they got to be better on third down. There's got to be better play calls, and quite frankly as well, Mitch needs to also be better. He made a clutch, clutch play at the end of the game, but there are a couple throws that he did miss. So I don't know what the answer is, Will, but they need to figure it out. Two weeks, they have not found the answer for this Bears offense, especially third down situations. I mean, we had this a little bit last year, uh, early in the season, where the offense was just having its hard time. After the first half in Green Bay of week one last year, they kind of hit some weird wall and they had to work through it, and then they got better. Hopefully that's kind of the same case here, but still, early in the season, I get it. They didn't play preseason. They had Russ last week, but you're still seeing some things, and like you said, maybe it's lack of trust. Uh, there could be some other things. I didn't like the play calling late in the game as well. I mean, we had it where uh, the Broncos made it a one-score game. It was like the top of the fourth quarter, and the Bears had an opportunity to put, you know, to put together a long sustained drive I mean you get three points at the end of it it's still a two score game but as long as you can kill some clock and they had what two plays three plays for two yards and it was like a minute and then Kyle Fuller bails them out that interception so we get the ball back like all right cool now we can sustain a drive and we'll finish it this time and then you go five plays uh the only positive one is the Trubisky down Robinson along the sideline and then they laid a goose egg there uh with some vanilla play calling and ended up punting it again and we know how it unfolded from there but are you as concerned or I'm I'm annoyed by the vanilla play calling because of how Matt Nagy is supposed to be you know this creative genius and yes we told him don't be too cute but there's a difference between too cute and being slightly aggressive to put this ball game away and not just rolling over and putting your faith in a defense that was obviously gassed in the second half of this game. Yeah, so, well, uh, I am annoyed about this Bears offense because prior to Eddie Pinheiro making this field goal to win the Bears a game, I already had, you know, the direction I wanted to go, you know, with this entire podcast, so where I wanted to go with it. I was essentially saying Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky have been lying to us the entire time. This this stuff about them being, you know, more uh, progressed in this offense, knowing more, of the, seeing more of the defenses, knowing where to go with the ball, it has not 
come to fruition whatsoever in two games. It's not the case. What we've been hearing from Matt Nagy, what we've been hearing from Mitch Trubisky all offseason, the training camp, you know, not needing preseason, it's all crap for right now because this offense is not where it needs to be. And quite frankly, they, you know, did they get a little lucky maybe at the end to win this game? A little bit, of course. You need a little luck every now and then. And Mitch Trubisky makes a heck of a throw over the, you know, the middle of the field to get him in position for that field goal. But this offense has not looked good. You can't, you know, have this go up every single week and just hope to win ball games. As good as the Bears' defense is, we need to see it actually produce results. Actually, score more than one touchdown. What it was late in the third quarter or something like that. It took nine or what? How many runs? Like four or five runs? Like at the goal line over there, they barely mm-hmm. got it in. So. It needs to be better because this team's expectations to win now uh, with this defense, they could do some things. But that offense is drastically holding them back. Matt Nagy, I think, still needs to take off the training wheels a little bit and let Mitch just throw it. Just let him throw the ball every now and then. See what he does. Obviously, we've seen you know early on that maybe he's not capable of it, but you've got to let him just do that. So it's not just dink and dunk. Here's a screen on third and six. These, I guess, I don't know, training wheel type plays where it's, very just, I guess, elementary in a sense. It's not this 202 offense that we've been hearing about all offseason. Okay, so that comes into my next point because I was a little concerned about the lack of big explosive plays. We had a couple, but I, not enough, and not what we're really hoping to see on this offense. So I wanted to kind of put this in perspective because you said, obviously, you want to see the training wheels come off. So the question would be to you, do you trust Mitch with the training wheels off? That's the question. I, you know, I guess it depends on the game. What, what, what is the situation the Bears' offense is in? Uh, are they constantly dropping back the entire time? Because you want to still keep it balanced. I want to keep this offense balanced where you're running the ball more than you're passing it. But yes, let Mitch Trubisky take some shots because I think you're not doing him any good if you're just calling up these simple plays where he can't he really can't mess it up you're throwing a screen pass the only thing you could do is possibly throw it behind the receiver and you have to be really bad to do that let him make a decision read the field make make his own decision to where he can rifle a ball into an Allen Robinson or even target Anthony Miller who caught one ball in two games utilize that guy send him on a deep post see what happens we're not seeing that so at some point Matt Nagy's going to have to do this if this Bears team actually wants to win games. And we're going to see who Mitch Trubisky really is. Because right now, I think Matt Nagy's hiding him, to be completely honest. Just uh, allowing the defense to take over. You're running as many times as you did. Kind of playing not to lose the game, but you have to do it at some point. Because the Bears are going to need Mitch Trubisky. They're going to need Matt Nagy's creative play calling to put them in positions to win and you know have a great season here. Yeah, right, Nick? It's tough. I mean, it kind of goes both ways. You want the training wheels off, but you also want Mitch to manage the game and don't screw it up and, you know, all things like that. And for me, it's I mean, Mitch had a couple of passes that were very close downfield today. You look at the one to Cohen, Mm -hmm. uh, which was right there. The defender made a really good play on the ball. And then he missed uh, Montgomery along the sideline as well. If that was Cohen, I think that's a catch. But you have to adjust for that speed difference. I think the play out of all the ones he missed downfield, the one that kind of, you know, irks me the most, would be the one to Taylor Gabriel, which was wide open. And, you know, you can look at that two ways. And I like to see the all 22 here in in a day when it comes out. But did, you know, Gabriel stop and then Trubisky overthrow at his head? Or was Trubisky anticipating him to keep running upwards, you know, up the field? It can go either way there. So I'm not going to, you know, put all the 100% blame on Mitch for that throw. 
But still, those that's a throw you need to hit in this league because that was an easy completion, which could have turned that entire drive around as well. But when I'm looking at the rest of the offense here, we did talk about Trey Burton and his impact if he came back. I know. Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere with most standard algorithm in the order it was received. Please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. He wasn't 100% full go. They kind of, you know, brought him in and out depending on the drive on the series. Uh, he had three targets in which he was able to catch two for five yards. Obviously a very minimal impact. Anything else you want to mention about Trey being active for the first time this season? Yeah, obviously there was a probably a snap count and seeing, and they said that before the game that Trey Burton, he'll be in the offense, but not to his full capacity. So I think what we saw today is not an indication of what the Bears kind of envisioned for him moving forward because Trey Burton is a big part of this offense. So don't want to, I guess, you know, over, you know, analyze the situation, what Trey Burton did or didn't do today because this is not what he's going to do if healthy for the rest of the season. But I think the big one's still here. Anthony Miller is not a part of this Bears offense. He really isn't. He got the first pass he caught all season was a minute 45 left in the second quarter, and that was it. I, I didn't see any more Anthony Miller. I don't see Blaze being, you know, uh, drawn up for him. He's a dynamic receiver. He's a good route runner. There shouldn't be any reason why Matt Nagy can't get him the ball. Even if Mitch Trubisky has his flaws, they connected at some points last season why is it taking so long? I know he had the shoulder injury, but it seems like he's past that. For the most part, he should be getting a ball a little a little more, a lot more <laughs> right now because, again, Allen Robinson is Allen Robinson, but Anthony Miller, you moved up in the second round to get this guy, and yet he has one catch through two games, was targeted once in Green Bay in week one. I don't think there's there should be no excuses. He should definitely be getting the ball more, seeing more plays because he is a dynamic player. Yeah, I mean, I can't fault you there. It's The Bears have a lot of playmakers that should be getting the ball more, and that's why I think you saw that end around to Taylor Gabriel. You saw the run with uh, Cordero Patterson because they're having a hard time giving these receivers uh, any opportunities through the air. So they're like, well, let's get them in the ball in their hands at whatever it takes, and let's see what they can do. And, I mean, it worked out well. You have Gabriel with the 14-yarder, and we talked about, of course, the 46-yarder from Patterson as well. But ideally, we need to find ways to them to you know gain yardage in a traditional manner. Uh, one last gripe for me, and then we can wrap up our thoughts here on the offense. But they had that weird fourth and one uh, where they're trying to pull Denver off sides. But they had that weird offensive line split where everyone was like two gaps away from the other offensive lineman. Again, I know they're not going to be running a play. But if I know that for my living room, you better believe <laughs> that the defenders across know that as well. So they're not even going to take the bait. So if you're going to do it, at least be in a formation that they can maybe possibly believe you're going to run a play out of it. Because that one, it's just nothing was going to happen from there because Trubisky would have been dead man as soon as the ball was in his hands. Anything else on offense, Nick? I mean, we talked about the positives uh, near the end, uh, of course, and also being more balanced. Uh, we definitely hit our concerns as well. Anything else you want to mention about this unit before we switch it over? Yeah, before I think we have to mention, look, the Bears 
didn't give up any sacks today to Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. That's the credit to the offensive line having a good game. Look, uh, there may be a little bit more quicker passes. The Bears are establishing the run. But those are two dynamic uh, edge rushers there, and they've gone two games thus far with Vic Fangio without registering a sack, which is insane for those two. There was that uh, series where Charles Leno Jr. was pulling a Garrett Bowles and was just holding for the past two plays. So, uh, but other than that, I thought the offensive line for the most part, you know, did a good job keeping Mitch upright, obviously no sacks on the day and against those two edge rushers. That's pretty remarkable. So credit to the bears offense and also helping that run game, you know, generating some holes without them. They wouldn't have obviously been able to get the yards and produce like they did. So got to give a shout out. And if Brandon was here, he would definitely be talking about the trenches and the offensive line for sure. Hey, good call there. They were my X factor on offense and they succeeded and that did allow us to come away here. Well, I mean, I think we got some other lucky breaks as well. Some unlucky breaks that we'll talk about too. Uh, but I'm, it's like a half hour since this game's ended and I'm still like, like a feeling of yeah, building in different things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So many emotions. So many emotions, but they're good ones mostly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's going to wrap things up here on the Bears offense. And before we jump into the third quarter of the show and take a look at the Bears defense, uh, just a quick reminder that when we enter the fourth quarter of the show uh, to send some questions here in the live chat, uh, whether you're here on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Wherever you may be, we get all the comments right here in their stream. So if you want to ask a question, uh, that'll be coming up here in about 20, 25 minutes, and then we can definitely answer a few of those to end off this show. But with that, it's time to enter the third quarter of our show and talk about the Bears' defense, which, you know, they were kind of picked apart late in this game and also early due to some short, quick passes. And we saw teams do that to us last year. It felt a little similar here. You saw Joe Flacco. He threw the ball 50 times today, which is a lot of times. I don't even think I have to put that in perspective. But, Nick, just like the offense, I'm going to kick it over to you first. What was perhaps your biggest takeaway from the Bears' defense? You know, I think the biggest takeaway here is that I think – well, I mean, there's a lot here. Look, this defense, they had their moments, like you were saying, where you know Joe Flacco's dinking and dunking, getting some yards here and there. But they don't give up that touchdown until late and obviously the two-point conversion. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, they were the reason why the Bears were able to, you know, stay in the game, not, I guess, panic on offense and only revert to passing like the Broncos did throwing it 50 times, right? So they always gave the Bears a chance to kind of run their offense. They just didn't do a very good job of it. But you have this defense that when it needs to make a play, we saw it kind of – we saw it happen with that Kyle Fuller interception. Should – I think – well – Going back, I've seen people say his knee was down. His knee wasn't down. Could have been a pick six. I, I don't know. I don't have the angle. I don't want to speculate over it. But that was a key moment for this Bears defense because they were obviously in scoring range. It would have changed the way Matt Nagy and Trubisky probably would have run plays you know, moving forward. But that's encouraging to see in that you have this these relentless pass rush from really it's steaming from or stemming from Chuck Pagano just calling these exotic blitzes. We saw double A gap blitzes with the inside linebackers. You see Buster Screen come on what one, two, three straight nickel blitzes off the edge there. And then you see the pass rushers do what they do in Leonard Floyd and Cleo Mack and even Aaron Lynch being a part of it. So there's just so many playmakers. And I can't I have to mention Eddie Jackson as well. So I know you said one big takeaway, but the big takeaway is that the Bears just have so many playmakers in that at any moment in the game, you can count on one of these guys 
to make a play because that is the unit that the Bears have, and they're lucky to have it because they had that offense with a mediocre defense. They'd be easily 0-2 and getting blown out of games for sure. Well, looking at my watch, I mean, I said for one thing, I think you hit on everything that we needed <laughs> to talk about, so I guess we could end the show now, Nick. Oh, we got to talk about special teams because we got to <laughs> keep talking about Eddie Pinheiro. Yeah, but let's get back to the defense. Obviously, we can dive in a little bit deeper today. Uh, so for me, uh, I hate on this podcast, anytime that we need to gripe or lack of a better word, bitch about refereeing and officiating. But I think today's one of those times that we have to do it, right? The call on Leonard Floyd, the call on Eddie Goldman. I mean, those are two bogus calls. And I mean, I have some stronger words I can use, but I try not to have to mark these episodes as explicit. It's been almost 400 and I haven't had to yet. So I'm going to bite my tongue. Uh, What do you think? Were those as BS filled as I believe? So the Leonard Floyd one was bad. Just absolutely awful. How? I mean, what else is he supposed to do? He's just making a tackle on Noah Fant, who doesn't even know where he's at in that situation, and he tackles him. But the one on Eddie Goldman, there's no other way he could have tackled him and been safe with the tackle. Joe Flacco was fine, and just as he's releasing the ball, Eddie Goldman's there. That, I don't know what you could do in that situation for Eddie Goldman, but, you know, just obviously walk backwards 15 yards because you're taking you know the personal foul but that was a crap penalty for on both of them both of them were bad and then also the one on bradley chubb even you know to play a devil's advocate here but they were just bad officiating all game but those two on the bears i don't know how you can call that as officials and because obviously there's no other way these defenders can really play the game i guess you know the right way if they can't make rudimentary tackles like that because there's nothing wrong with those plays yeah <laughs> i had to just take a i just had to take a breath there and be like okay we can move on to you know things that are more in the team's control because the officiating was terrible i mean there are other instances and i'm not going to get into it here we're here to talk about the defense uh not the officials but for me uh, one area of this game I want to talk about, and you kind of mentioned it, right? The Bears allowed a lot of yards today. I mean, 372 total yards to the Broncos, and they were eaten alive underneath. I mean, they gave a lot of cushion. Uh, they did do some exotic things today, which you mentioned briefly as well, since you wanted to hit on everything right out of the gate, but it's just totally okay. I'm going to give you a pass here. But uh, even though they gave up a lot of yards, the Broncos were only able to score a touchdown once out of three red zone trips today. And of course, that one time was almost the dagger uh, late in this game. But besides that, what led in your mind to the Bears' success in the red zone? Obviously, the field gets constricted. It gets harder. I mean, you hear that in every broadcast. I mean, that's the bread and potatoes answer. But like, what's going on down there? Because obviously, uh, to me, it just seemed like once they got down inside the 20, the pass rush was just a little bit quicker. Uh, Flacco had to make his decisions a little bit faster, and the Bears, of course, tightened up their coverage. And all of those together uh, kind of made it, you know, life hell for Joe Flacco once he reached that 20. And that's, for me, the reason why the Bears inside the red zone were obviously able to be, you know, pretty damn effective. Yeah, so I think what happens to opposing teams when they do get in you know, if if they get into the red zone on this Bears defense, they see the speed that is actually on the back end of that unit, even at the linebacker level, to where if you're throwing these uh, horizontal passes or these quick slants, Roquan Smith is there to wrap you up and make sure you're not getting into the end zone. Or Ajax is breaking on the ball to where, you know, 
maybe at a, in another defense, this is a touchdown or a bigger gain. But I think that's where it comes to play. It's not even so much as the the play calling for for Chuck Pagano because I think he can just you know call his base stuff. But knowing that he has these gifted athletes that have this speed that you don't really see in a lot of defenses that they can get from sideline to sideline. That's the difference with this Bears defense as opposed to others because you see Roquan Smith. He's diagnosing you know, some of these screens, some of these slants as they're actually happening. Then he's just in a position to make a tackle. And then I think because Roquan Smith made a tackle in the open field, it led to that Kyle Fuller pick a little bit later. Maybe had this been another linebacker, another defense, that's just a touchdown from the get-go. So – that's what I think is the difference between you know Chuck Pagano's defense as opposed to anything else. The really the speed on the back end and just knowing, hey Leonard Floyd and Cleo Mack, if you don't get that ball out quick, they're most likely going to be in the quarterback's face. So quick decision making, quick reaction tackles, and just quick instincts on this entire defense. That's what makes it so hard to score in the Bears. And if they do, you know they uh, an opposing offense really had to work at it because nothing comes easy when you play this Bears defense. Is are you okay with this? Like for every single game, if if offenses want to adopt the same mentality of what the Broncos did with those short, quick passes, you know, underneath, uh, just nickel and diming this defense. Uh, because I think what Flacco hit his first ten or eleven passes today, and I think so, yeah, and he was able to just you know quickly get it out, not worry about the pass rush, and obviously the Bears were able to kind of hold that in check. But I don't know, is that sustainable with this defense? I think so. I mean, I think that's what the Bears kind of want this game plan for an opposing offense to be. If you're going to take and dunk, you're eventually going to have to at some point because you're picking up such little yardage. You're one, you're leaving yourself more susceptible to maybe penalties. Like you see a Garrett Bowles being a liability out there because you're not getting these big chunks of yards and you have to, uh, again, just dink and dunk your way through this Bears defense. I don't think that's a way that one, you can actually beat this Bears defense. You see him gaining yards, but it was up until the very last minutes of the fourth quarter where Denver finally reaches the end zone. You want to get those big plays, but this Bears defense just doesn't allow it. So I think that plays into their game because now after the Broncos have maybe played this dink and dunk uh, you know, offense all game, they have to resort to these longer passes. Now you're allowing this Bears pass rush to now be you know, effective here because you've been so used to dinking and dunking the entire time. Now you can allow in that pass rush to get involved. So I think that's what, you know, this defense wants. And, you know, it, look, it hasn't really worked. They score 10 points against Green Bay and they win that one. So I think that's what teams would like to do or would not like to do. But it's just they kind of have to resort to that, uh, I guess, playing style because the Bears defense is that good and not going to allow big plays to happen. I can see it. I mean, for me, it's it's hard to stomach some of the yards sometimes or some of the longer mm-hmm. drives. But if you're only you know forcing them into three points or settling for field goals, that should be enough. And I say should. I mean, we 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 hope because <laughs> with this offense on the other side of this team, you never know. But it should be enough. It wasn't two weeks ago. It was today, um, but just barely. And hopefully that margin can widen because we talked about it. If this Bears defense can keep teams scoring roughly the same rate they did a year ago. With the, with the progression that we expected from this offense, it should be easy each and every week, but it hasn't been the case just yet. But 
Uh, we'll see if we can get there. Uh, so for me, I had a few different surprises today when I was watching this defense, things that I didn't really envision happening. Uh, one of them uh, was, I forget his name too, it's okay, he plays for Denver, uh, but their backup right tackle. He That wasn't really a factor today as much as I thought it would be with Leonard Floyd. Uh, Cleo Mack, who it looks like they were putting more on bowls for the majority of this game. Uh, were you surprised as I was that we weren't able to really take advantage of that backup right tackle, or was that only a surprise to me because of that quick passing game? You know, I think it, there, both of those play a factor into why Eli- I think it's his name, uh, Elijah Wilkinson, wasn't a liability out there for the Broncos. But I saw Leonard Floyd playing really well, especially when setting the edge in some of these run plays and the tackles that he was making. So even though Leonard Floyd didn't reg- register a sack in this one, and Elijah Wilkinson, you know, played for the most part pretty well, especially a lot better than Garrett Bowles, um, I think it was really the Broncos offense that kind of took away that liability because you're getting the ball out so fast that even if, um, you know, Floyd did get a good pass rush, the ball's already out. So I think it's a little of both for sure, but it still doesn't mean that Floyd had a bad game or anything like that because saw a lot of good plays from him. Yeah. I mean, he was getting in there in the backfield. He was making plays near at a line, the line of scrimmage as well. Uh, and the other one that Technically surprises me in the stat sheet, but I want to make sure for those that maybe weren't able to watch the game, they're wondering what the heck happened. And I was here late in the game when the Bears were allowing fourth down conversion after fourth down conversion after fourth down conversion. And and it was making me want to pull out my hair because like, here we go. We're going to lose this game because the defense gassed and they can't make this stop. And I just got ahead of myself and I just gave the answer. But I believe that the reason why they're giving up these fourth downs was the fatigue being the factor because we talked about it when we're mentioning and discussing the Bears offense that late in this game with a slim lead, they could not sustain a single drive. Most of that second half, the Bears defense was the unit on the field. And once you're already in the second half of the game and it's hot and it's early in the season where fatigue sets in, yeah, you're just going to see it. And you and I, we traveled to the Bears-Dolphins game last year, and it started to see or feel like the same type of you know mistakes were happening. The missed tackles, the effort being a little bit less than we're used to seeing out of you know some of these guys. Uh, do you believe that you know the conditioning or you know just the wearing down of the Bears defense was as big of a factor as you know I believe it was due to the fact that the offense couldn't sustain a drive and you know all the things considered like altitude and you know everything I just mentioned but uh, fatigue how big of a factor was that late in the game oh I think it was a huge factor I know I tweeted out during the game that this Bears defense is gas and they end up scoring a touchdown on that drive it's just when the offense can't sustain drives and your defense is expected to you know stop an opposing offense all game it gets tiring, and then you add in the altitude. I know Matt Nagy said going into this game, it's not going to be a factor. Well, it has to be a factor. You're not used to these conditions, and if you're constantly going out there, uh, look, it was Matt Nagy who called a timeout on that, what was it, third or fourth down play, just to get Khalil Mack back in the game. He took himself out of the game because he was gassed. Then the Broncos end up scoring, I think, the touchdown, two-point conversion, whatever it was. But, yes, of course, uh, you know, the altitude, the conditioning definitely played a factor in why this defense towards the end of the game was giving up more of those yards and ultimately, you know, the points that also came with it. So, and it doesn't help. It doesn't help when your offense can't sustain drives. I think you tweeted out, Will, they had, what, three plays in 45 seconds? the offense yeah um and when it so when you have that and your defense is expected to again try to stop them 
without or with minimal rest, it's a recipe for disaster. So I look now the bears are not going to be in those kind of situations anymore. Not going to have to battle, you know, high elevation or hopefully the heat starts to dimmer down as we're getting later into, you know, the, the, the year here. But that was definitely a factor in why the defense wasn't able to, you know, be as dominant as we saw earlier on in the game. Let's talk about some standout performers on the defensive side of the ball because, I mean, there are a handful of guys that sit up for various reasons. We can talk about you know, Kyle Fuller's interception some more if we need to and speculate if his knee was down or not. And I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't when it's all said and done. Uh, but for me, I mean, Eddie Jackson stood out, and he went out for a little bit. They're looking at like his collarbone, his shoulder area. Uh, and people were a little worried at the end of the first half, like, is he going to be okay? And I had a hunch he'd be back in the second half, and he was. And there's a few plays today. He had a really good open field tackle early in this game on third down, right in the flat to stop a drive. Uh, and also at, out towards the end of the half as well, uh, he broke up a pass, almost came away with the interception. Then the fourth quarter with the game on the line, everyone's getting tired. He's the one turning into the big hitter out there. And we don't talk about Eddie Jackson, the hitter. We always talk about Eddie Jackson, the ball hawk. But to see him play as physical as he did, probably a little banged up as well if you had to believe that he was getting some attention from the trainer. But to see him just, you know, lay the boom, knock some of these balls free with using just his power, that's cool. That's exciting to see. That's a whole different element of his game that we really don't get to see a lot of. But it just shows that he's not just you know a ball hawk he's not just a guy who can create interceptions he can also you know be a disruptive force uh with his you know power his strength and his using his speed as well so for me eddie jackson being a uh it looks like he's progressing into a more well-rounded safety i guess is where i'm trying to get to here because he's adding other elements of his game and if he can sprinkle a little bit of aggressiveness uh in terms of you know punishing ball carriers or people receivers that's going to be uh, really fun to watch. But definitely Eddie Jackson to me stood out. What about to you? Yeah, just to add one more point on Eddie Jackson, it's just because he is a ball hawk, he puts himself in position when he's breaking on the ball. Even if he's a little late, he can deliver those big blows. So, yeah, Eddie Jackson is just a complete safety. And, you know, thank goodness he's on the Bears because he would be just awful to play against, especially if you're opposing quarterback. But guys that also stood out, look, Buster Screen was a very questionable sign for a lot of Bears fans coming in. I always thought he would have been a good addition just because he has an aggressive nature. Add that with Chuck Pagano. You see him coming on these nickel blitzes. He's a little too aggressive on that, what, PAT extra point, and that's why the Bears are even in the situation in the first mm-hmm. place. But for the most part, he has played pretty well in the two games here in Chicago, and I think, again, when you surround him with a bunch of different playmakers, it was just almost expected to happen for Buster Screen. You saw, saw the versatility for maybe one or two plays when Prince of Mukamura came out Buster Scream is a guy who went over to the left cornerback spot. So a guy that you can also put there if you need to. So I think he's also deserving of some credit in this game. And a guy that you don't see very much because he's not a starter, Aaron Lynch. I think mm-hmm. when he comes yeah. into the game, he's just played great. First, I think one of the very first times he comes into the game, he puts his hand up to flex a pass. And then he also makes a tackle for loss later in the game. Aaron Lynch, he has minimal opportunities uh, through his first two weeks of this 2019 NFL season. But if you watch the tape, he's made the most of those opportunities. He's only here on a year deal. We didn't even know if he would be here because Vic Fangio left. But he's showing the Chuck Pagano, 
hey, he's a good guy to have for depth. He can produce plays when he's asked to, and that's all you can ask for out of your, you know, third outside linebacker on this team. And Aaron Lynch, a veteran guy, knows exactly how to play, know where to be, and just make plays on that defense. Then you have a guy, another unsung hero today, but a Nick Williams stepping in a little bit with Bilal Nichols going down with a hand injury, coming away with a sack. I did see on Twitter a little bit ago that Nichols isn't a cast in that hand, so we need to keep tabs on that. That's not good. Uh, If it is ending up being a longer-term injury, obviously Nick and I will kind of talk about the impact of that here throughout the week. But Roy Robson-Harris was a surprise quiet guy tonight. I mean, obviously he came off a big game. It was easy for him to... You know, have a letdown performance, if you if you will, because of how good he was against Green Bay. But I thought his impact would have been a little bit more strong today. But you talked about Buster Screen coming in with some of these aggressive blitzes, and I mean that just reminded me in general, of, you know, Chuck Pagano using some of these blitzes. Uh, I think he used like an all-out blitz on third down early in this game, which really forced you know Flacco. He had no time at all. He had no chance to make that, and it was a little extra nice because you're doing it against Vic Fangio. It's like, hey. This is how you be aggressive in the NFL, you know, when you're calling these plays. But then you have some of those too in the fourth down when they're playing a little bit too far back, a little bit too lax in their coverage. I thought they would have been uh, protecting the sticks a little bit more, but it seemed like they're just more focused on giving up the big play, which, again, there's pros and cons to that mentality, as you and I have already mentioned. Uh, one other question for you here, Nick. Were you as surprised as I am that Cortland Sutton, uh, his impact was as minimal as it was with the four catches, 40 yards, as opposed to a Royce Freeman having a little bit more of uh, you know production and Emmanuel Sanders just really tore us apart today underneath? Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm pretty sure in the preview show, well, we both thought that Cortland Sutton would be a guy that would definitely do a lot more in this matchup um especially over the middle of the field and we saw a couple plays especially the Sutton or even Sanders on those post routes and we again we talked about in the preview podcast that's a spot that the Denver Broncos like to go to they did so a little bit in this game uh but yeah I think Emmanuel Sanders just showing he's that veteran wide receiver he's a good route runner even though he's coming off an ACL ACL injury last year he can still ball I mean, that was a great touchdown catch uh, back at the corner of the end zone, getting the feet down. Like, it, he, I guess we undervalued or, you know, just kind of looked past him a little bit because you have Cortland Sutton, who just had his first 100-yard game, big by receiver. But, yeah, it was um, – I guess it was a little surprising definitely to see the other guys contribute a little bit more than Cortland Sutton. But I think, you know, Chuck Pagano, they knew who they wanted to take away. Let these other guys beat you. They did a pretty good job of getting yards for sure, but – Ultimately, it didn't cost the Bears a game. Could've. Oh, it could have. No, it really. I was gonna <laughs> say that would have been the second worst special teams mistake by a Bears defensive back since I think you know where I'm leading to, and that's Marcus Cooper a few years ago. Oh, I almost forgot about that play, but almost. Now nope, I, I reminded now you. I <laughs> now you. Now I reminded you. Like, damn it, Will. It was this close to going out of my mind, but you had to jog my memory one last time on it. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about Cleo Mack today. Again, his impact on the stat sheet was minimal in terms of just the one sack. Uh, I'm glad he got his first one of the year. Obviously, through two games, we both probably assumed he would have more than just the one. Uh, but obviously, the big impact, and we talked about it in the first quarter, and that was uh, getting those holding penalties on your guy bowls. Yeah, I mean, it's just – I think there was there should have been a couple more, actually, that yeah, should have been called. Yep. Uh, they called other offensive linemen instead because you saw the the camera go right to Garrett Bowles. And he's like, "Who are they going to call me again for, what, my fifth, sixth holding penalty? But, yeah, even though Khalil Mack, he did get a sack and maybe doesn't have as many sacks throughout two games of the season as we expected – 
but still, he's making an impact. He's putting other guys in position. He's causing holding penalties and putting the offense, moving the offense backwards. That's just the kind of player he is. And you saw him diagnose a screen later when the, the Broncos were in scoring position. He gets right up to Philip Lindsay's right there, just dislodges the football or bats it down. So that's what Khalil Mack does. He's a force on every single play. Obviously, Matt Nagy wanted to get him out there on that third down play because, hey, you need to be out there. You're obviously Khalil Mack. You can make things happen. So, yeah, he does what he does, and the Bears are great defense you know, with him. And you can't really complain even if he doesn't put up the numbers that you expect because he is having and playing an effect or just factoring into this game and putting the defense in good positions to get off the field or maybe even score points. I mean, holds are almost just as good as sacks. I mean, that's 10 yards backwards, and that I mean, those are drive killers for a reason, and I'm not opposed with him. I think Bowles, he had four. I think that was the official number, which was most by so. any offensive lineman since 2014 in a single game. Doesn't Put that in perspective, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's, that's good for us, and that's good for Cleo Mack, mm-hmm. because obviously the narrative's been since he's been in Chicago that apparently you can't hold Cleo Mack because they never seemed to want to call it, but that did change a little bit today. And I thought Mac did a really good job of some of the small nuances, right? Like when he does have his hand on his shoulder, like, you know, moving it back to make it a little bit more obvious that, hey, I'm being held here instead of using his strength and not being pushed back because we all know how strong Mac is and he doesn't have to do those things. But when you do, you tend to get the calls a little bit more, a little not acting, but uh, adding on or embellishing or just making sure it's apparently obvious, like I'm being held. So please call, you know, please throw the flag. Uh, but other than that, Nick, any final thoughts on the Bears' defense? We haven't really talked about what they're able to do in terms of shutting down the Broncos on the ground. It seemed like it was, it felt worse than it was during the game. I felt like they were really tearing us apart later in this game. Uh, but they did only allow 90 yards total between both Freeman and Lindsey, which only a 3.8 average between the two, which for this Bears' defense may feel like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, that's still a pretty damn good job. Yeah, it really is a pretty good job with these running backs. They both have um, their own strengths, and you knew we knew coming into this game that Denver was going to utilize both of them uh, pretty evenly, 11 carries for Freeman and 13 for Phillip Lindsay. So, yeah, we knew that coming in. But it's like I said, with the, the altitude and everything, it was a credit to the Bears defense. They were able to do what they did for as long as they did it for. And then the offense finally, you know, gave them breaks at times. But yeah, I think it's it's hard to shut down a team for an entire game. It is. But the Bears defense, for the most part, did that against the Denver Broncos. And that's why they were able to come away with this victory. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on the Bears' defense, which means it's time to go ahead and jump into the fourth quarter of our show and talk about the Bears' special teams unit. And it's right back to Eddie De Niro, Pinero, the Pinero hero, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever you want to throw in there for the new nickname, uh, feel free. But obviously, Eddie Pinero, uh, three for three today, uh, that long 53-yard field goal. He hit what? Another one was 52 yards, if I'm not mistaken. So he had two over yes. 50 today. That's that's incredible by Eddie Pinero. I know someone mentioned uh, the account in a tweet was asking, when was the last time a Bears kicker had you know 250-plus-yard field goals in a game? Don't have the answer to that, but we'll definitely look it up. But, yeah, it was an, imp- an impressive very impressive performance by Eddie Pinheiro, especially 
everything that he had to go through to even get to this point. One winning the competition. One, at one point, the Bears had eight kickers. They had eight kickers try out for one position. Eddie. Pay- Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Temper Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Nero ends up coming out, and there's Elliot Fry and all these other guys, but he ends up being a guy, and he's perfect on the season. And today, well, there were a lot of kickers that missed field goals. Just uh, Adam Vinatieri, of Steven Gostowski, Dan Bailey. There were all these kickers missing, and Eddie Pinheiro was not one of them. And that's what's so great about this um, performance by him. He didn't add to this long list of kickers that just weren't able to do their job today. And that's great knowing that the Bears, imagine that kind of kick, a game winner. The confidence goal and you have from that moving forward, Eddie Pinero's got to feel like he's on top of a mountain. He's in Denver. By, I mean, it's perfect. So I think this is going to you know, play huge for him just moving forward in his confidence, just knowing that he is the guy and that he you can rely on Eddie Pinero. That's a big thing. You can rely on him to kick this field goal to win a game, tie a game, because he's pro- thus far he has proven it. If my math serves me correctly, he's accounted for 13 of 19 of all of our points this year with, of course, uh, the six just going to David Montgomery. So other other than that, I mean, Eddie Pinero has been you know carrying this team in terms of scoring points so far this season, which, like you said, at one point there's he wasn't even here. He was traded for, and I'm glad they traded for him. I'm glad they stuck with him. I'm glad he won this kicking battle because as of right now, it just— I can't envision anyone else doing the things that he's done. I mean, like you said, when's the last time we've seen a Bears kicker hit 250 yarders in a game? I can't wait for you to do the research because I want to <laughs> know and have fun because gotcha. I'm sure you're going to be searching for a long time. I probably am. I prob- I'm just going to go, obviously, when Robbie Gold was playing because anything up until this point or after him, that's not going to be the answer. So I'll start looking there, and I'll let you know even if that is a statistic. Maybe Pinero's the first. I'll have to look into that and definitely let you know. Because it wasn't like Robbie was here in Chicago known for that long leg, and they didn't really no. test it too much, so you could be searching for quite a while, man. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I have homework to do. I have class nah, that, tomorrow, That's your but... homework now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell your professors. Will said that was your homework, and I, I apologize on behalf of you, but I don't get the grade you do. <laughs> when I get that F, I'll just say this is because, you know, I'll just blame it on you, and it'll be Mail all it good. to me. I'll put it on my fridge. <laughs> as long good. as I know the answer to this kicking question, then I'll be all right. Yeah, it all works out in the end. All right. Well, obviously, though, Pinero, I mean, we can talk about this more, but I do believe it's worth our you know, time to talk about Pat O'Donnell as well because he had some monstrous punts today. And for a while, he was on my short list for MVB. It was that kind of day. But obviously, things changed, and I'm glad they <laughs> did. But he had one. Uh, he had a 75-yard punt. That's three-quarters of the football field. Uh, just in case you want to do some quick math there. Uh, that thing, I mean, that changed field position. Uh, that Obviously, it does. But he was averaging about 57.4 yards per kick today, or for per punt. And I think his last one kind of dipped that down a bit. At one point, he was averaging over 60 yards a punt, which, you know, Denver, who was doing a good job of moving that ball, he gave them longer fields that they had to work with. And at such a tight game that this was, 
that proved pivotal. So for me, I just want to give a shout out to Pat O'Donnell living up to that mega punt status today. And also shout out to the altitude for helping him out. I'm sure that was also potentially part of it, but no, he was on his a game today for the most part. O'Donnell was. Yeah. So when you can't do much on offense, you better have a punter that can swap, you know, field position to eventually get you in position to score, do something with the football. But yeah, paddle down played huge with that one that rolled and kept on going against uh, earlier on in this game for Denver. That's, you know, how exactly you want to flip the field position and not give the returner a chance to return the punt. That's exactly what you want to see from Pat O'Donnell, especially with this offense still finding its way, still trying to figure things out. Slot field position, let that defense do some things for you, and that's all you can ask for from Pat O'Donnell. So he's doing a really good job at it so far. He's got a lot of opportunities uh, through two games, too, as unfortunately, well. He's been, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. But he's getting a workout for sure. Now, don't forget to drop some of your questions here in the chat. That way Nick and I can answer them. And I need to get better and making sure you know to do this about three minutes before now because now we have to stall yet again. But I'm sure you have plenty of questions. It's going to be worth it. I believe the only other thing we need to mention on special teams is that whole debacle at the end of the game uh, in terms of the two-point conversion that ended up going to be a field goal or an extra point, I should say. And then from there, uh, of course, Buster's screen uh, being offsides, moves that back up. What were you thinking? I just wanted to go in the mind of Nick like during that whole sequence because, I mean, I was up and I was down. I was like, oh, they're going to go for two, and we're probably going to lose. And then they moved it back, and it's like, oh, good, we're going to just settle. And then I kind of joked, and I was like, well, maybe he'll miss it. And then he did. And then I saw the flag. I was like, well, damn it. I can't win. And then he'll move back. So then I reverted like, well, here we go again. And it came out to be true. But what was going through your mind right there? You know, I already uh, just when they scored the touchdown and then they're going for two and all that, I had it just in my mind that the Bears are going to lose. And then it happens. They get the two-point conversion. But there was just a lot of um, definitely words I can't say on this podcast because then, again, we would have to change or you have to do something with the rating or whatever it is. But, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of, again, mixed emotions, a lot of anger and then you know angst just with everything that was going on and i get what buster screen's trying to do he's just trying to make a play but you can't you can't do that put yourself in position obviously the field goal kicker misses uh you know that extra point or whatever like all these things are kind of happening at once so again just a lot of emotions happening and yeah, so that's kind of what was going through my mind, just a lot of maybe nothing because it was just so much happening at once. But yeah, it all ended up working out in the end. You don't want to go through that again. I know I was tweeting with somebody during the game. It's like you can't go through a Bears game without getting a headache. It's like impossible. It's no, there's no Bears. Way. Yeah, it, there's been maybe like a couple games where they've blown out the Bills and the Buccaneers where you knew the Bears were going to win that entire game, but – for the most part, every single Bears game, there's going to be a headache that comes with it, which is annoying, but I, as Bears fans, we're all used to this by now. I mean, are we? It's hard to feel like sure. I am used to it, right? I mean, I am, but I'm not, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. You just don't, you want to get out of that. You just want to know your team is actually going to perform the way that you thought. They're just going to take care of business and maybe the first, you know, two quarters or three quarters not opposed to do everything at the very last two minutes so then you're just it, it you know constant fear that they're gonna lose or whatever it may be but yeah i, I don't know i've just kind of gotten used to it which is i guess pretty sad in a way i'm used to these headaches 
That is sad. I do need. It like, is. A, we need to get like sponsored by some like pain medication, some over the counter stuff. Like, I'm not you know Tylenol or you know what a leave whatever. You know, whatever not sponsors maybe, enough, yeah. but whoever it would be. I mean, you know, our headache moment of the game, whatever the heck. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> we got some questions. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. I see one from Lance. It's a simple one. True or false? Uh, this game was a must win. Nick. With four, you know, with fourteen games left, I guess it's not a must win. But I'm gonna go true. It was because going zero and two, going to a Monday night against Washington, and then being behind in the division, Green Bay won today. They're two and zero. You had the Lions that also won. I think it. It's just gonna be hard to catch up had the Bears had lost this one. So to answer the question, true, it was a must win. I said that on Thursday. I said this was, to me, it felt like a must win. I think Kevin Fishbane tweeted out, since the NFL uh, moved to an eight-division league, only 16% or 11%, one of the two. Uh, so no matter what, it's a low percent. Less than 20% of teams who start 0-2 end up actually making the playoffs. So to me, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know right there. So for me, it was an easy answer, a must win. And for it to happen on the road as well, uh, to me, is huge. Uh, because, I mean... The Denver Broncos historically, historically good in home openers. And for the Bears to find a way to sneak out today when it seemed like at the end everything was going back to the Broncos' favor to you know hold true to their home opening status quo, uh, the Bears found a way to pull it out. But definitely for me, it was a must win as well. Thanks for your question, Lance. Really appreciate it. I see another question here. It comes from Cliff. Cliff has been very active in our chats as of late, so I just want to say I see it. I appreciate it, Cliff. Really do appreciate that for sure. Um, and the question is, what's the Bears' biggest need, improvement from Matt Nagy or from Mitch Trubisky? Which one is the biggest need, Nick? That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, I guess I would have to go with Mitch, and maybe that allows Matt Nagy to be more comfortable with calling maybe more plays that he knows that he has to maybe do a little bit more of his own decision-making or just make a throw in a tight window. So I think it will fall on Trubisky, especially because, you know, it all goes back to you moved up to get this guy number two overall in 2017. You expect more in year three in this offense with all the playmakers. I think Mitch Trubisky is I, look, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I would have to go with Mitch and then maybe Matt Nag- Matt Nagy's not hiding him as much like I alluded to earlier in the podcast because he's calling these uh, you know, plays that are, like I said, elementary and not this 202 in the offense. So I feel like it's more on if Mitch Mitch needs to improve more. Will that happen? I have no idea. I'll go with Nagy. I think he needs to put this offense in a better position to succeed overall. And he did a he took a good step forward today. But mm-hmm. I think when you're looking at what's more important, uh, him as a play caller, him as the guy who's putting out the different personnel groupings, I think that's going to be you know a little bit bigger. It's going to loom a little bit larger as the season goes on. And if he can find ways to get Mitch comfortable, to get Mitch into a rhythm early, and to take some of those training wheels off, like you mentioned earlier in the show. Then I think to me that's going to be perhaps one of the biggest, you know, positive steps forward that this offense can definitely take here uh, for sure. Next question comes from Shadow, who is a new moderator in our chat. So I really appreciate that, Shadow. He wants to know Are we concerned with the certain players uh, being quiet right now? Hicks, uh, Anthony Miller, are names like that being a little bit quiet concerning after two games? 
I would say, well, Akeem Hicks, I'm not too worried about, honestly. I know he hasn't maybe produced as much as we would have liked through two games, but not concerned about him and his motor and like how he plays the game. It's Anthony Miller that I just don't know what's what is the reason that he's not getting more, you know, balls thrown his way in this offense. I know he had, you know, his ups and downs in training camp. He maybe didn't have the right attitude or just was had these mental lapses where he's having these false starts at the line of scrimmage. Um, or is it just that he's not picking up the offense? Why isn't he getting the targets? He's a good player, and I just don't understand it thus far through two games where he only has one catch for, I think it was like two yards or something like that, nothing significant, and he had one target in Green Bay. I know he's dealing with that injury, but we got to see what is the issue here with Matt Nagy, Mitch Trubisky, and Anthony Miller. I feel like that should have been a combo that should have been better. I know I had my question marks, you know, about the, you know, Mitch just throwing there in general, but I feel like it should be better than one catch thus far in two games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to panic after two games. I mean, you see it. I mean, not just with the bears, but if you play fantasy, I mean, you see it, right? You get Uh some players, you draft them, you get excited for them and they don't play for well for the first two weeks. And maybe you're an idiot like me and you drop them, and you're like, okay, I'll move on to someone else. And then they have a really good rest of the season. I mean, it's so early in the year. Uh, I wouldn't panic just yet, but at the same token, I understand why a some level of concern would definitely arise. All right, last question. It's going to come from John Bonetti, and he wants to know, do we believe that we need at least 10 wins to make the playoffs because the NFC looks pretty solid? I say yes. I don't. I think anything less than 10 still to me would be a high disappointment uh, for this season. What about you, Nick? Oh, absolutely. I think you need you need more than 10 to be, you know, uh, to be honest, Matt. Uh, look, Green Bay is, I think, has been good this season, which I did not expect for them to be good right now. Being 2-0 and in this division, the look, the Lions threw away a game against the Cardinals last week and ended up in a tie. Figures it's the Lions. And then you have, you know, the Vikings that were coming back in this game against Green Bay earlier on today. So even within the division you're going to have to have more than 10 wins because that's how competitive it is. And you have obviously the Saints. Well, actually, I think Drew Brees actually just got injured. That can make things interesting. But there are teams within the NFC that it's just they're they're going to have around those 10, 11 wins. And the Bears, if they want to be in the playoffs, they're probably going to be have to be in that range just to even get into the dance, which is crazy in itself. But, yeah, I would definitely say 10 or more wins for sure to get into the playoffs. All right, Nick, it's time to head into our two-minute warning. And, of course, this is where we wrap up our thoughts on this game and kind of put them in a season-long perspective. And I'll do a little bit of an audible here, and I'll go first. I rarely go first here for the two-minute warning, so I'm going to give Nick some much-needed time to collect his thoughts. Uh, So I'll put myself on the spot. And So when I'm looking at this game, obviously, Nick, you and I, we went through all the ups, all the downs, and we definitely have our fair share of concerns especially with the Bears' offense after the first couple of games. But at the same token, and I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty details because we've done that for over an hour now, we still found a way to win this game. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. We're going to look back at this game in December, and we'll just see it as a victory, you know, a W on the schedule, and that's really about it. We're going to forget about all those you know, little details, some of the minutiae between you know, the first kickoff and how it ended. Uh, maybe we'll remember the kick to seal the deal as it could be a stepping stone for Eddie Pinero. But you know, I understand being upset about Mitch, still being a little upset with some of the play calling and some of the decisions. 
I, but we saw improvement, and improvement's good, and that's what we need to keep working for. And still, when it mattered, you got a clutch throw from Mitch, a uh, clutch decision from Robinson to still stay down with that football. Mitch calling the timeout with one second left on that clock, and then, of course, another clutch moment with Pinero. So when it came down to it, when it was crunch time, it may not have been the prettiest games or you know the most uh, what calm of endings, but they found a way to still come away with this win and a big one on the road at that. So for me looking forward, hopefully the bears can build off this win, a big Monday night game against Washington. And if they win that they're two and one. And I think we're, our spirits are in a much better spot than they are, you know, just even a couple of days ago from now. So for me, uh, I understand there are some things still to clean up, but it's so early in the year and the Bears are 500, and that's okay with me, uh, given the fact that we lost week one, and I couldn't change it now. So that's going to be my two-minute <laughs> warning. Let's go to Nick. What do you got? Yeah, so obviously this video would have been a lot different had Eddie Pinheiro missed his field goal, and or the Bears don't even get in position to make it, but that's not the case. The Bears won this game. They are now 500, like you said, and they can use this to propel them forward in a season where they had – where a lot of people have them is, you know, reaching the Super Bowl because they're ready to take this next step. They have this great defense. They have, you know, Matt Nagy, all these playmakers. Well, really, the offense needs to come to play starting now. We knew that coming into the season, I think, especially in week two, that this is going to be a tough game. I had them projected to score 17 points. They had 16. So they were right around where I thought they'd score in this game against Vic Fangio. But we just need to see more from Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky. And I think for Mitch, we, again, it all comes to, I think, Matt Nagy just having the confidence in him. We've heard it through the offseason. We haven't seen it through two games of the regular season where it actually counts. So that's where I want to see the progression now that you have Washington. Not the best of defense, right? You should be able to do some more things offensively against them and just moving forward with the regular, you know, the rest of the schedule. You have Minnesota coming up at Oakland for the London game, then a bye week. But just from now on, we just need to see the offense going in the right direction because where it's at right now, we're not going to get to those 10 wins. I'm going to tell you that right now. The defense can be playing as good as it, you know, is right now. They still need, I still think they can create more turnovers, but this is not going to do it. They need to take steps in the right direction. They did. Handing the ball off to David Montgomery, getting the running backs more involved is a step in the right direction. But having Mitch Trubisky, you know, just be, I guess, more of a not, – not that he's not a focal point, but he need you need to take off the training wheels. Going back to that analogy again, let Mitch Trubisky throw. See where that ends up because you're going to have to – he's going to have to do it at some point this season. And I think over this next stretch of games, maybe it's a good way going to the bye week. But – it's really the offense that's holding this team back. You found your field goal kicker. You know your defense is good. Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy, let's get this fixed up. Going into a Monday night prime time where Mitch Trubisky has struggled. Let's see if he can maybe change that narrative a little bit. Just a little bit in the right direction to keep Bears fans from maybe asking questions. Are the Bears going to bring in another you know, quarterback? No, they're not. Are, is there another – who are they going to draft next year? I have no idea. Let's see if Mitch can change this narrative of him because right now it's a little sketchy. But they have a couple games where they have some maybe favorable opponents where they can possibly do that. Well said, Nick. And, you know, you put in perspective, you look at Green Bay, you look at Denver, and those are two pretty good defenses as well. And 
I mean, you can take that for what it's worth, too, but we'll see. I mean, it's time to look ahead to Washington, though, as we're going to wrap up this postgame show. I want to thank everybody uh, for checking out uh, the live stream, no matter on YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope slash Twitter. And, of course, for all the thousands of podcast listeners around the world, we really do appreciate you as well. We'll be back in just a couple of days as we begin to uh, prepare for Washington. But until next time, enjoy your first victory Monday of the season. And of course, bear down, Chicago. Bear down.